Being a Better Man, Episode 29, The Almost Perfect Day. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability, where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood. Well, hold it. We're not doing that today. Today is story time. That's right, folks. Instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, I've decided to squeak in something extra in between. Story time with Alf. These stories are relevant to the mission here at Being a Better Man, because in every story, even though these are my stories, there is some lesson, example, or other nugget that you might be able to apply to your life, or it might remind you of your own similar story. Either way, you should be entertained. So at the end of each story, I will talk briefly about what the lesson learned was, the moral of the story, in other words. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. It was May 13, 1979. I was 16. It was Mother's Day, and it was a Sunday. I was having an exceptional day. One of those days where you really feel like you are the king of the world. Everything just keeps going right. Everything. Even the weather was beautiful. On this particular glorious day, I had spent the early hours in Seattle with my boxing trainer. I was working out in a professional gym. I had gone about 25 rounds that day, four of them sparring grown men that outweighed me by 50 pounds and I had done very well. My trainer told me I had been turning heads, impressing the other people in the gym. The future looked really bright. On top of that, I was driving around in my mother's car. It wasn't anything special. A pumpkin orange Volkswagen squareback sedan with a lot of miles on it. But she had given me full use of it for the day, so I was taking advantage of the freedom it offered. After I left my trainer at his house, I took off, stopped at a fast food place, and got a burger. Then I drove out and surprised my girlfriend at her house. I took her for a little drive, and we spent the afternoon just hanging out. It was really a perfect day, and I felt fantastic. I was driving home now because it was Mother's Day, and I was sure that my family was going to celebrate it somehow. I was heading south on the road home that went by the little airport. I was going about 35 miles an hour. I saw a flash, an obstacle, suddenly in my lane just a few feet in front of me. There wasn't even time for my brain to register what it was. It happened so fast. Instinctively, my hand cranked the wheel to the left. The next thing I knew, I was sort of coming out of a fog. I was alerted by the sound of glass tinkling. Nothing made sense, but in that moment, I didn't require it to. I was still sitting in the car. The steering wheel looked like a pretzel, and I couldn't see the passenger seat because it wasn't there anymore. Unalarmed and very calmly, I climbed out over the steering wheel and out of the hole where the windshield used to be. I turned around, sitting on the hood, my legs dangling over the dash where I was just sitting, 
I put my elbows on the roof of the car and rested my head in my hands, just perfectly content. I was feeling very happy, very peaceful. I'm not sure how long I sat there like that, but I eventually became aware of a horrible sound. It was the sound of a woman screaming. Slowly, realization started creeping back into my brain. Oh no, I thought, looking around again. I've been in a wreck. The car was destroyed. It wasn't even recognizable. My next thought was one of panic, thinking, oh, my dad is going to kill me. I thought I was okay. Nothing hurt yet. The woman's screams were getting louder, and I decided to investigate now that my brain was coming back online. I climbed out of the car and started following the screams. On the way, I met a man, a smallish older man who was staggering along. He had a tiny cut on his chin. He stopped me and stood there swaying forward and back like the way people do when they're really drunk. Then he asked me in a thick, drunken slur, Have you seen my little dog? I can't find my dog. I couldn't believe it. I said, The hell with your dog. What about that woman? Pointing toward the other steaming hulk of a car. He said, Oh, she'll be okay. I need to find my dog. Then he just wandered off, looking for his dog. I ran up to the car and I looked in. There was a woman, a huge woman, 400 pounds if she was an ounce, in the passenger seat. She was screaming like she was on fire. And I could see why. At impact, the floorboard on that side had been pushed in a couple feet in a millisecond. Her legs were pulverized. They didn't even look like legs. With all the blood, flesh, bone, and fat all stirred up together into something frightfully unnatural. The shell of the car had closed in around her, and I knew immediately she would have to be cut out. I told her I would get help, and I took off. The cars had come to rest in front of a veterinary clinic that had living quarters attached on the back of the building. I knew this because we had brought cows and pigs here to be treated before. I knocked frantically on the door until someone answered. When the door opened, the woman standing there let out a little scream. I thought that was odd. I told her, I need to use their phone. She told me they'd already called the ambulance. That was good, I thought, but I wanted more than anything to call my parents. So she brought me the phone. There were no cell phones in these days. The phone was wrapped in towels. I thought that was odd, too. So I called home. The phone just rang and rang. Nobody answered. I figured they must be out shopping for the Mother's Day party. I thanked the woman and then went out front where the cars were. As I was walking up, the fire trucks arrived, and a few ambulances and some cops. Four medics attacked me and made me lay down and started working on me. I didn't even realize anything was wrong with me yet. I protested, and a medic got real stern with me. She told me I was covered with blood, and they had to figure out where I was hurt. That explained the woman's fear when she opened the door of the house. So I lay there and let him work on me. The gravity of the situation started to sink in. I got a little scared. I just wanted to see my parents. The medic was concerned because apparently blood was pouring out of my mouth. It was my tongue. 
When my head hit whatever it hit, my tongue had flown all the way out of my mouth as far as it would go. Then my chin hit something and my teeth almost severed my tongue way toward the back of my throat. I could tell too because it was starting to swell really bad now. It had gotten so big I couldn't close my mouth all the way and my speech had become almost unintelligible. So I'm laying there, my head turned to the side so my mouth would drain, getting poked and prodded when I see something that made my heart leap. My parents. They'd been driving home and saw the wreck. They didn't recognize the car, but my dad knew the license plate number. He wheeled around and almost got in a wreck of his own. I was so happy to see them, but they hadn't seen me yet. I watched them as they walked onto the scene. They both saw me at the same time. My mother threw up her hands, screaming, and fell to the ground in a clump. It turns out she thought I was dead. Meanwhile, my dad just looked frozen, with an expression I'd never seen before. All the color left him. He was white as a sheet. I tried to call out to them as best I could to let them know I was still alive, but now the medics were tending to my mother. Mom eventually settled down and Dad got his color back. The medics finished up with me and sent me to the hospital. I was right about the woman. They had to bring in special equipment to cut her out of the car, and her legs were destroyed from her feet to her hips. Apparently, she had come across a man with a dog and a bottle of whiskey hitchhiking. Not only did she stop, but she let him drive, even though he was drunk. He was flying down the road about 75 miles an hour, passing everybody, and when he passed the last one, I was there. Luckily, I had cranked the wheel to the left. It was still ahead on collision, but just on the passenger sides. That's why I couldn't see the passenger seat, because it really was gone. They were driving a heavy Camaro, and it essentially cut the Volkswagen in half. If anyone had been with me, they wouldn't have had a chance. Once at the hospital, the on-duty doctor didn't even look in my mouth. He did a few other tests and sent me home. I thought it was odd because the medic said I would be in the hospital for a few days. But he was the doctor, so I went home. The next four days proved to be some of the worst days I had spent on earth, even to this day. The lazy doctor should not have sent me home because I couldn't swallow, because your tongue moves when you swallow. Not only that, but my tongue had swollen up to about five times its original size. It had turned black and hard. It reminded me of a parrot's tongue. I thought for sure I was going to wake up and my tongue would be lying there in bed beside me. I couldn't eat or drink. I was severely dehydrated. My mom was doing her best to squeeze a straw filled with water past my tongue to the back of my throat, where she thought it might trickle down and keep me alive. I'm sure you're all wondering why my parents didn't take me back to the hospital. All I can say is that they were different times. People didn't question authority like they do today. The doctor had originally told my parents I would be fine, so they were going with that. Almost like taking me back wouldn't be allowed. My mother wondered about it herself years later. At the time of impact, I was in the best shape of my life. At 16, 
I weighed 195 pounds, and I only had about 5% body fat. I was a specimen. In fact, they said the only thing that saved me was my musculature holding me together. My chest hit the steering wheel hard enough to mangle it, but I didn't have any broken ribs or bruised organs. I was very lucky. Four days of not eating or drinking will wreak havoc with your fitness. My body cannibalized itself, eating my lean mass, and after four days, I'd lost over 20 crucial pounds. Now I only weighed 171, and I was weak as a kitten. I'd been running eight miles a day. Now I got winded walking to the bathroom. It was horrible. Thankfully, the tongue is the fastest healing organ, and on the fifth day, I was able to drink a little and form words again. It took months and months of very hard work to gain back all the muscle I had lost, though. I went to school an hour early every day and walked as far as I could on the track. The next day, I walked a little farther. The next day, a little farther. Eventually, I was able to run a little bit, and I just kept going. It was the same with weights. I just kept doing a little more every day, and it took me a year and a half to get back to the same weight I was on the day of the crash. That's pretty much the end of this story. The woman in the other car tried to sue my parents to pay for her injuries, of course, but that was thrown out of court. Nowadays, my parents would have sued the hospital for sending me home. But people didn't do stuff like that back then. So what's the moral of this story? You know, just telling this story was a little emotional for me. It brought back a lot of memories. I think there's quite a list of things I learned that day and in the days that followed. I could say the moral of the story was in my recovery. How raw determination and persistence will always yield a result. And I would be right. That's true. I could say the lesson learned is that tomorrow is not promised to you. Your life can change or be lost in the blink of an eye. So the present should always take priority. That also would be true. I could say a lot of things. I learned a lot of lessons here that have stuck with me my whole life, but there is one that stands out, and here it is. When we are at our worst, when it seems like the bottom of life itself has fallen out and we're alone, just another creature in peril on the earth, there's one thing that can always pull us back from the brink, and that is family. It doesn't have to be blood family, but people who care. The raw love and care of other people directed at you will quicken your spirit, give you hope, and be a light in your darkest moment. That's one reason you hear me talk so much about the value of our relationships. They are the greatest thing we have in this life. And as men, we should remember that and treat them accordingly. Now, go out there and be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.